0: Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 9. Let me tell you where we are, and uh, then I'll, we'll, we'll pick up. <clears throat> Father, open the word. Open our hearts. We, we are your children, your family. Feed us. Feed us your word. Thank you for the sweetness of your spirit. Now feed us your word, Lord, that we be strong and be good disciples that serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. It, Jesus is in Jerusalem where this story takes place. It is about six months before he's crucified. It's the fall of the year, probably the month of October. He has uh, sp- spoken in the temple area. He has gone down during a particular feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, and he's gone out into the crowds and begun to preach there in the temple. And in the course of it, he ends up with a, in, a, in, a, in a discussion with some of the top Jewish leaders in the, in the temple. And the crowds are all there. And he made a statement that just really, really did it. He, he, he said that he was older than their father Abraham. Now, Abraham had died 2,000 years earlier. So he's saying, I'm older. I, I was alive Uh, before Abraham 2,000 years ago. Now that's either really strange or he's declaring himself to be the divine son of God. You follow that? They knew exactly what he was saying and they, they picked up stones because he was declaring himself to be divine, the son of God. And so some of these leaders want to stone him. But it says that he, he escaped, and I think what happens is there's many in the crowd who believe in him, and I believe they just, and, and you're probably talking tens of thousands of people. When you go into that large, I, I told you it was, what did I say, 36 acres of, of flat stone is this temple courtyard. It's not a small place. And uh, this is during, the, during their uh, holiday. This is when people are there. So they're there by the... <laughs> Uh, hundreds of thousands, actually, filling Jerusalem. And, and so this, this is a big deal. And you've got people everywhere. And they, they got him out of the, out of the crowd uh, without being stoned. Now, if I had people pursuing me, going to stone me, I would, I'd keep going when I got out of the temple at a pretty good clip. Uh, you know. He gets out of the temple. He's, he's walking out of the temple. And there, the lining the temple entrance areas, are, are beggars. And he sees one particular beggar. The man was born blind. So he's been a beggar ever since he, he, was, he was, I suppose they felt he was able to collect money. <laughs> so they, he's been there begging. He stopped and he looked at the man. He, he looked at him. And the disciples enter into this theological discussion. They said, Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents? Remember that? In their minds, bad things happen to bad people, and and so somebody must have sinned. And they are actually suggesting, did this man sin in the womb? <laughs> you know, that's not easy to do. But I, uh, or did his parents sin? Who's being punished that, he, that a baby would be born blind? And, and don't we often ask the question, why? Oh God, why? When, when some of those things happen to us, Jesus answered was very clear: neither this man nor his parents sin; isn't involved he didn't answer it he just said nobody's being punished here God didn't do this and then he says this he says but in order that the works of God in him the things that God has been doing in this man might be revealed we must do the works of God and so what did he do he he had the man stand there and then he spit in the ground and you say well that's really strange well wait a minute he spit in the ground and he made clay out of the dust so the spittle, and then he took that 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 clay and he smeared it over the man's eyes. Why would he do such a thing? What was that symbolizing? When when God when 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 the when when the I think the Son of God made Adam in the garden out of clay. clay He formed him with his hands. He made him with his hands. And I think the symbol is this. When I made Adam's eyes, you will see, it was like this. He didn't heal the man's eyes. When when you're born with with blind eyes, I mean, who knows what's there? Who knows what's there at all? He created his eyes. So the man suddenly sees perfectly. Well, this creates quite the the kerfluffle. Uh the, the the neighbors began to argue I mean this this is a miracle that is so uh, you can't fake it, you can't say he got you know it was the Carrot juice—you you, you can't go anywhere with this except it's whoa! This is a healing. I mean, who did this? And so the debate begins. The neighbors begin to argue: Is this really him? Some are saying, "No, it's him." Others saying, "No, it just looks like him," uh, because you, you, you're engaging this miracle. Uh, the uh, the the neighbors like actually took him to the, some religious authorities. They took him to the Pharisees. So these are, are going to be your ultra-Orthodox. These are the guys who really know their Bibles. And so they're going to is, is, you know, interview this guy. So they, they said, well, we know it was sinful. We know it was wrong because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. Okay, he's so you know, this the idea of spitting and making mud, that's work. And you can't do work on the Sabbath, and therefore this is a sin. Um, they took him... Or actually, probably while this is all going on, I think it's in the temple area, while this is going on, some of the top religious leaders uh, show up. High priest, maybe, who knows who they are. Some of the top leaders show up. And this turns into a trial. Now, it's gone beyond a discussion, and it is a formal trial. They summon the parents. The parents are brought in to testify, is this your son or is it not? Uh, they, they know the word on the street is anyone who confesses Jesus is going to be thrown out. What that means is you're going to be excommunicated. You're going to be formally, religiously, spiritually separated out of Israel, and you are now, in every, for every Jew, a dead man. So you're a dead man. The only thing they'll do is they will sell you the basic necessities of life in the marketplace. No one will speak to you. You're not welcome anywhere. You are out of the, any synagogues. You're out of any participation. You're a dead man until you repent. And what is his crime? His, his, uh, I mean, what would be their crime that they would confess Jesus? So the parents are scared. So the parents, as they're testifying, they said, well, here's what we'll tell you. First of all, yes, it is our son. Second is, yes, he was born blind. How he got healed, we don't know. Junior, that's for you. <laughs> and they just you know, left him on his own. So they turned to him and they said, tell us again, how did he heal you? And he says, I've already told you once, do you want it, why do you want to hear it again? Because do you want to become his disciple like I have? Now this is gutsy. You're talking to the top authorities here i mean they can they can kill you if they want they can throw you out Oh, there's there's huge intimidation here and even spiritual intimidation these are your spiritual leaders these are your shepherds as it were they're the ones who uh, you know supposed to be caring for your soul they're telling you this Je- jesus is sinful so they get into this discussion and they said we know this man's a sinner so he said you know they want him to renounce jesus and say Jesus had nothing to do with his healing. God healed me somehow. Uh, and but Jesus is a wicked man who somehow got in the middle of it. That's where they want him to go. And he won't do it. He remains loyal. And so finally, he, get, he gets into a real argument with him. And he says, here's an interesting thing. We all know that God doesn't hear sinners when they pray. But when he says, when, a, when someone pleases him and obeys his word and walks in it, God hears their prayer. He said, this man, this Jesus, has done a miracle in my life that no one has ever heard of anyone doing in all of human history, of giving a man born blind eyes, and you say he's a sinner. How can that be? Now they're ticked. Uh, they're, they're really angry at him, and they say, how dare you, born in sin, teach us? You know, out, comes the, out comes that stuff. And, uh, and they throw him out. When they threw him out, the word came to Jesus, he's been thrown out, meaning he's excommunicated. Here's what is, What's the message to Jesus? The guy didn't throw me under the bus. He did not renounce me. He stood up to them. Where is he? He goes, finds him. And then the first thing he does is he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He goes, right for the spiritual. This man has shown him a heart, a courage, and a, and a commitment to, to truth. And so he knows, he's got an open heart here. And he says, you believe in the Son of Man. He says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, he who you've seen and heard, he who speaks to you is the Son of Man. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he fell at his feet and he worshiped him. That's where we pick up. Chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind you would have no sin but since you say we see your sin remains now your bible and mine now comes to the end of chapter 9 and then it starts chapter 10 if it's printed properly only in the greek text the the original it doesn't there's no break at all and so i want you to realize that this discussion we're not i'm going to read some of it right now about the good shepherd is something he said to the Pharisees in response to this situation. So so listen to it. I'll I'll, I'll start at verse 39, and I'm going to read right straight through, and you'll get the feel of it. He says, For judgment I came into the world, so that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you'd have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter by the door of the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Would you say that he calls his own sheep by name? He calls his own sheep by name. Say it once more. He calls his own sheep by name. That's what we're going to talk about. And he leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Choosing hope. Not only will sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd, but the true shepherd knows which sheep belong to him. He knows them by name. In John's description of Jesus' encounter with a man born blind, we observe this truth in action. On his way out of the temple, Jesus saw a particular beggar and stopped. Now, there would have been many beggars lining the entrance to the temple because people tend to give to the poor on their way into worship. But there was something about this man, this blind beggar, that caused Jesus to stop. Thankfully, he told us what it was. He said he he knew that the Father had been at work in that man's heart. He stopped so that the works of God in him might be revealed. That means God prepared that man to believe in Jesus. He was spiritually receptive. Though blind to natural light, he had been become ready to see spiritual light. In other words, the shepherd stopped when he recognized one of his sheep. Did you notice when Jesus explains this thing about the good shepherd, he says, on the one hand, the sheep will know the true shepherd's voice. That means we know him when we hear him. But it also says the shepherd knows which sheep are his. It goes, it's a two way street here. So as he's walking out of the temple, why did he stop? He spotted a sheep. The Holy Spirit bore witness. That's one of mine. Okay. And so we engaged him and ministered to him. I want you to see that. The Lord knows his sheep by name, he knows. Your name. He knew you before you were born. See, this is not that the Lord is picking some and not others. He's saying, I want that one and I don't want that one. It's not that at all. I'm going to show you the process, actually. That's what this whole discussion is today. How did God form this man to be ready to meet Jesus and to have the kind of boldness and integrity with which he responded like that? What did he do? People make choices, People make choices all along. God knows those choices, however. And he knows those who will choose him. He knows those who want him. He knows those that are looking for him. And frankly, they, they aren't necessarily at all religious people. Sometimes they're some of the worst <laughs> criminals on the planet. He knows the heart. He knows the hungry. He knows those who want him. And he's watching for them. And he knows them by name. Actually, the Bible would say, he knows us from the, before he created the worlds. He knew who would come. Isn't that cool? He, you, in a sense, you have always been his. You have always been in his heart. Even when you were a mess, he knew you. Just put up with it. They're coming. They're coming. Uh, they, they will. They'll get, they'll get there. Hallelujah. Even before the man believed in him, Jesus knew his name. The question we want to answer today is, how did that happen? What work did God do in that man to prepare him to believe in Jesus? We ask because we want to know how he prepares us, those who do not see. When Jesus told this man who he was, the man immediately believed and worshipped him. Then, while he may have still been kneeling at his feet, or possibly the word means prostrate before him, Jesus said this to the Pharisees who were watching nearby. For Read this with me, would you? For judgment I came into this world, so that the ones who do not see may see, and the ones who see may become blind. To understand this statement, we need to identify the group of people Jesus called those who do not see, and the group he called those who see. Obviously, those who do not see are not people who are physically blind. In this case, it was someone who had been physically blind who had spiritual sight, while many with physical eyesight were spiritually blind. Jesus' presence had exposed which was which. The actual word that's used there, there's a couple of words in Greek that you can use for judgment. For judgment, I came into this world. One is to sort of uh, produce a judgment. The other is to... Recognize the judgment. The word that's being used here is that Jesus is saying, wherever I go, wherever I am, I tend to cause people to make a decision. They either draw to me or they pull away from me. Have you seen this? You'd be surprised. It's really quite odd. It happens to you. If you and I have the Lord in us, if we're walking with the Lord, people, it doesn't take them long. Even if you don't work crosses or, you know, or, or, or t-shirts that say get right or get left or anything like that. Um, if, if you just live your life out, they will figure you out. You don't have to say one word. You don't even have to witness. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's what you don't say or you do say or what you don't do. I actually suspect as, as I watch it, because sometimes when I go into even other places in the world, I'll watch people's faces and, and I look at their eyes. And it's, you can spot Christians. There is a tenderness, almost a vulnerability. They're almost, it's almost a weakness. It's like their soul is open. There's something there that's vulnerable in them. Now, actually they're the ones that are very strong. It's, it's, an, odd, it's an odd thing that happens to us. We become tender and vulnerable and we're also the ones willing to die for our faith. So it's, it's something odd in, in, the, in the way the whole thing works. But then you can watch other faces, and if if you begin to know what I'm looking for, you can see you can literally see that dead, uh, exp- real even when they're smiling, the eyes are dead. There's a there's a sadness, there's a deadness to it. Uh, you can you, the eyes give it away, and I and actually I think people spot it too. They feel it. So what you'll find is some people, if once they sense and figure out kind of who you are, will either draw to you. And, and love you and uh, maybe even want to talk about what's going on in their life with you. And other people will just take a deep disliking to you. Uh, they may punish you in, at work. They may, they may. who knows what it'll be. But they just plain don't like you. Actually, it is that it, it, this is what Jesus said. I came and I produce a judgment when I'm here. <laughs> There's just no stopping this. Where I, When I stand there, people come toward me or they pull away from me. And in the process, I create a judgment. The idea of eyes that see and ears that hear is a theme that goes all the way back in Israel's history to Moses, and it was later used by the prophets. Spiritual blindness or deafness occur when someone refuses to see or hear something God is trying to reveal. Both images point to the humility within a person which allows God to bring correction or teach a new truth. With this man whose eyesight had been restored in front of him, Jesus explained to those Pharisees the attitude which had made it possible for him to respond in faith. And that attitude was simply this. The man knew he was blind, beyond the blindness of his physical disability. That means he was humble enough to recognize that he didn't have a genuine relationship with God and honest enough to admit it and may I, and clearly wanted one. The, he's, when he says blind, he's talking about people who know they're spiritually blind, who admit they're spiritually blind. Those are the ones he came to give eyesight to, spiritual eyesight. Another term Jesus used to, to describe this same quality was poor in spirit. You remember that statement? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who are poor in spirit, who, who is that? To be poor in spirit means a person understands their own spiritual poverty. They know they don't have a right relationship with God. On another occasion, Jesus said it was those who are sick who need a physician. He was saying it is those who know they are spiritually sick who are willing to receive God's remedy. On another occasion, he said it was to infants that God had revealed hidden truth, not to the wise and intelligent To enter God's kingdom, people must become like children. All of these images point to the same attitude, humility. To know what we don't know and be honest about what we don't have is the first step to gaining it. Did you hear this? How do you start your walk with God? Ultimately, you have to come to a place where you know you don't have one and that you want one. There's there's this waking up going, I'm not doing well. You'll find when you pray for people who don't know the Lord, sometimes things will actually begin to go badly for them. And it isn't God not loving them. It's not God punishing them. It's nothing like that. You didn't curse them. But God will actually begin to, as it were, disturb that person's life. Because many times we're not interested in help until we know we need it. And so things have to go difficult. They have to be bad. How bad? Well, how stubborn are we talking here? (laughs) <laughs> and some of us have friends and family who it's, it's a long ride. And, and others, it takes very little. God will just shake the nest a little bit and they're ready for the Lord. They knew, already knew they were ready for the Lord. Preparing the heart, preparing the heart like that is, is what happens. Jesus used a, a, a parable. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Well, the Pharisees are actually the group he's talking to right now as, he, as, he, as we're reading this. The Pharisees are these highly religious uh, practicing all the rules trying to please God. The tax collector was really the lowest person in in their society and and it's really close to the bottom in ours. Uh, (laughs) Every spring. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, I'm not. Uh, It says these two men went into the temple to, to pray and he said the Pharisee came before the Lord and he and he and he stepped forward and he said um, he said oh god i i thank you that i'm not like other men he said i and i and, I, and he particularly said and i'm not like this tax collector here and he said i i i tithe of all i get i fast twice a week you know i, I worship regularly uh, i thank you um, that i am doing this and it it says that the that the tax collector behind him didn't even have the nerve to raise his eyes to God. He just kept his head down and and he beat his breast. And he said, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he said, that man went away forgiven. The man who was proud and felt no need, the man who was sure of himself in all of that, went away unforgiven. You see that? Yeah, those who know they're sick, those who know their infants, those who know they have a need, those who recognize and are willing to be honest, I'm not cutting it, this isn't working, I need God. That person's ready for God. It allows us to, I have no idea where I left off, so I'm going to just launch here a minute. Uh, to know what we don't know, I'll just, that sounds like a good place to start, and be honest about what we don't have is the first step to gaining it. Uh, It allows us to look for help and be willing to receive it and when God sends it, uh, receive it when God sends it. The person who feels no such need, who believes they already know, know all they need to know and has all that's necessary, is not open to more, is not willing to accept correction, is not likely to reject, pardon me, is likely to reject anything different from what they already have. Someone like that tends to say the old is good enough. So Jesus' statement about those who do not see and those who see was meant to expose the difference between those who felt they already knew all they needed to know and those who were painfully aware of how little they knew. To a man who knew he was spiritually blind, Jesus revealed the truth about himself. To those who proudly assumed they saw all they needed to see, encountering Jesus left them under greater judgment. When they rejected him, they damaged themselves spiritually. They became less able to see than before. That's the problem, is every time... The Lord shows himself, in a sense, and, and, and you get a revelation, you get an understanding. When that heart goes tender, you'll have those moments when the conviction is there. Uh, you know he's there, you know he, you should repent, you know you should take a step here, and you say, no, and you shut it down. The problem is, you're not just turning a light switch on kind of thing, like you can do it anytime you want. Every time you do that, you harden yourself. You're doing this to yourself. God isn't doing this to you. But it becomes harder to say yes the next time. So the more you do it, the harder you get. And that's how people get hard. People who have something they want to protect, something they don't want to give up, something they don't want to stop. And if I give my life to God, he's going to take that away. So I keep saying every time I get convicted, every time I'm around somebody who's close to the Lord or something, I just shut down, I shut down, I shut down, I shut down. Because if I don't, I'm going to have to repent and I don't want to repent. So I just lock up. What you do is you harden yourself. You create a callus. You damage yourself. We damage ourselves, shall I say, in doing this. The gift of suffering. As much as we try to avoid suffering, it is a strange fact that suffering seems to deepen people. Have you seen it? It's in the difficult times that most of us finally ask the hard questions about the reality of God or the purpose of life. Suffering either causes us to grow bitter toward God or presses us to become serious about knowing Him. People that live really happy lives, everything's good, everything's easy, everything's provided for them. I mean, I'm not saying they're dumb. They may have an IQ way off the scale, but there's a lack of wisdom. There's a lack of depth in the person. It is, as much as we would rather not have it be, it is when we suffer. It is in the hard times. It is in the dark hours that we ask the deep questions and begin to say, is this really my faith? Is there really a God or not? We can dabble philosophically, but boy, when we're, when, when, when we're facing the death of a loved one, is there heaven or isn't there heaven? Yes or no? I got to get this right. Right? It's in the pain, it's in the suffering that depth comes into a person's soul. Suffering either causes us to grow bitter toward God or presses us to become serious about knowing Him. It won't let us stay neutral. It drives us to make hard choices. It forces us to go one direction or the other. It demands that we find real help either from God or some other source. As painful as it may be, suffering, particularly prolonged suffering, carries within itself a gift. It tends to loosen our grip on this world. For some, that means they, they, they despair and long to die. Let me stop with that. Suffering will loosen your grip on this world one way or another. When you have prolonged suffering, it, it can lead to real depression. And it leads to despair. And after a while, you loosen your grip all right. But what, what that comes to is you want to die. You long to have the pain gone. You long to escape. You long for oblivion. Just get me out of here. Yeah, you've let go of the world, all right. But you've let go of the world into despair. Suffering also makes us let go of the world another way. For some, it means despair and the longing to die. But in others, it opens their eyes to see the next world. They begin to cling to God's promises of a future world in which there is no suffering. There are those, and it's a choice we make. This is where I'm going to, the whole title today was choosing hope. It's a choice you make in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your disappointment, in the middle of the disease, the disability, the the deep disappointments with life, the, the, the struggle with the flesh, the weariness of it all. You either despair and you basically check out. You start using alcohol or drugs. You start sitting there just doing everything you can to escape life. Or you turn and cling to God. You'll go one way or the other, but you will go a direction. Suffering demands it. You'll go one direction or the other. This man, and this is my, one of the things that I see there, this man, born blind, his pain drove him to open up to God. He turned the right way, and the Father knew that. A man born blind, the frustration of being born blind must have been miserable at times. Think of it. But apparently that man... In that that man, his suffering deepened his longing for eternal life to the point that he didn't care what others thought of him anymore. What would it be like? I mean, just think, put yourself in the man's shoes. You're born blind. You have never seen color. You have no idea. You don't know what your family looks like. You probably put your hands over their face. And, and, and touch them and try to figure out what this must look like. But you don't know. You've never had a picture in your mind to even envision anything. You've never seen a tree. You've never seen the sky. You hear about the sun, you can feel it, but you've never seen it. And all of, your, all of the people you know, your, the children that grow up, they end up having families and lives and businesses and, and, and they go forward with all of this. Not you. You're left. Every day they stick you on the steps of the temple with a bowl. So in your pathetic condition, people will give money and you bring it home. That's your lot in life. Don't tell me you and I wouldn't ask, oh God, why me? The unfairness of it, the gross unfairness of it is just appalling. This man had to do some deep suffering. And some deep soul-searching. We see, we s- he didn't, it did something in him to the point that he didn't care what others thought of him. We see that by the way he responded to those who attacked Jesus. He was willing to lose everything to be loyal to Jesus. No one stood with him through the ordeal. He was rejected by his parents, his neighbors, the Pharisees, and the highest religious court in Israel. There was nothing anyone could do to make him renounce Jesus. They did it. And he wouldn't. That would never have happened if during those years of disability he had grown bitter toward God. Who could have blamed blamed him if the apparent unfairness of his lot in life had soured him? So many of the rewards of life had been denied him. And he must have asked many times, Oh God, why me? But at that point, he chose to stop. Pardon me, at some point he chose to stop because a bitter man would never have reacted the way he did. Bitterness does not produce faith. Bitterness, bitterness, you come on, you know what bitterness does. I don't need to explain it to you. When you're bitter at somebody, you get cold. You get cold to God, and you frankly get cold to everybody else. Bitter that you can't compartmentalize. You can't say, I hate you, but I just love everybody else. Something about hate, something about bitter, something about that attitude just, just chills everything. You become cold and withdrawn. This man, when he was healed, withstood the entire society to be loyal. He didn't even know who he was yet, to be loyal to the man who healed him. And the minute he said, I'm the son of man. He fell on his knees and worshipped him. That's a tender heart. It's not a bitter heart. You know he made that choice somewhere. A bitter man would never have asked, "Who, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? That's the cry of a humble heart, of someone longing for more of God, of someone who didn't care if his family, neighbor, or spiritual leaders rejected him. That's the cry of someone who had stopped blaming God if he ever started, and had turned to him as his hope. What is hope? The word hope, when used in the Bible, often has a very special meaning. It looks into the future and sees the blessings God has in store for us when we finally meet him face to face. Hope looks all the way to the end of time. It looks to the coming of the Lord. You might say that hope is, the faith, is faith when it's focused on that glorious future. So hope arises when we believe God's promises about eternal life. It waits eagerly for the resurrection and the life that follows in which there will be no sickness, sorrow, or sin. It knows that never again will there be violence, cruelty, injustice, disease, or disabilities of any kind. And because hope really believes that, hope takes the bitterness out of suffering and allows it to prepare our hearts for our shepherd. That's how you get rid of the bitterness. When you begin to say, well, I am in this. It is, it is, I'm, I'm dealing with this suffering. I'm dealing with this situation. And I, who knows what will happen. But God has something better in store for me. This is temporary. It changes the perspective. Even if I died this way, I still have a glorious future It goes on forever. And when you really believe that, not just know it to be a theological statement, when your heart goes, yes. I believe that's what happened to him. I think as he sat there growing up, watching his friends get married and go on and have families and do all of those kinds of things, and they kept leaving him on the steps by the temple with his bowl, I believe his heart, instead of getting bitter, said, there's a day coming and the Lord will resurrect the dead. The, see, that's in the Old Testament too. God will resurrect. There's a day coming when the blind shall see and the deaf shall hear. That's promised. I believe that. If I can't see now, I will someday. And hope rose in him. I believe hope is a choice. Here's how the Apostle Paul saw that choice. Go go with me quickly to Romans 8. It was more than I wanted to write in there. Romans chapter 8. I just want to... Paul talks about suffering, and he talks about about hope. Listen, Listen to how he does this. And what he says is, all of us suffer. You know, you might say, well, some people have it bad, and some people have it good. Well, Paul says, and frankly, if you're a Christian, if you walk with the Lord, you're going to suffer. Look at this. He says, verse 17, he says, he's talking about us being children of God. And he says, if children heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, do you see that? That we may be glorified with him. And then he says, he begins to talk about the suffering world that you and I are living in. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. He says, here we are, living on this planet, and there's all kinds of suffering. Now, he starts with creation itself. He says, the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That, what he just said was, the animals, the plants, the planet, the stars, the moon, everything is waiting for the day when you, you and I are resurrected. And we begin to rule this creation under the submission to Jesus Christ. It's waiting for that glorious day, which frankly the whole planet will be resurrected. Imagine that. The, plant, the animals are suffering. They're groaning. They're, they're, they're dying. They're going through all of those things. The day will come. I think it means even animals, everything, is, is going to somehow be resurrected. Now, I don't mean that your pet dog necessarily will come back. Um, uh, it, maybe yours will. I don't, yeah. <laughs> If mine does, I'd like to be a little distance away, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, he, he goes on and he talks about, and then he says, he, he, he says and he says, and not only this, not only is creation grown, waiting for that day, he says, but we, having the first fruits of the Spirit, in other words, we who are full of the Holy Spirit, we too groan within ourselves, Longing for the day, where he says, for the, for the redemption, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You and I are sick and tired of living with these stupid old bodies of ours. Not only do they get old and sore, but they're full of temptations. Aren't yours? Don't you, don't you get sick and tired of the old you? Crabby, the, the angers, the you the you wake up in the morning and you know, and, and, and the temptations, the lusts and the fears and the adrenaline surge. search aren't you tired of that? Yeah, well you're gonna live with that until until you either when the day you die and the resurrection of the Lord. When you and I get resurrected, we get brand new bodies that don't have this garbage in them. But between now and then we groan. So even if, it is, even if it isn't a hardship in a sense, you you still are stuck with you. And if you walk with Christ, you're having to bring this, this donkey, is what Francis of Assisi called it, my little donkey. You, know, you have to bring this donkey along with you and bring it into submission constantly. He said we suffer. And then he comes to this. Look at verse, look at verse 24. For in what? Hope we have been saved. But hope, and he's talking about what we're saying, this this future, that hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. Paul was covered with scars. Paul had lost his family. He would lost his position in Israel, which was a high one. He'd lost everything for Jesus Christ. In his, he, he, was, he, he went from place to place, being beaten up, thrown out, preached. He'd preach and, and see churches and then had to flee for his life. And he says, here we groan. He says, but, but we live in hope. Why didn't he get sad? Why didn't he get bitter? Why didn't he say, well, look at my lot in life? Because he burned with hope. He was sure of heaven. This was a season, but heaven's coming. Responding to suffering. Put yourself in that man's shoes. If you or I had been born with that disability, how would we respond? Would we let it loosen our grip on this world and turn us toward the promises of God? Or would we accuse him of injustice, of failing to keep his promises, and of ignoring our pleas for help? The more you think about it, the more amazing his response appears. What would we do if we weren't healed? What if a loved one continued to struggle indefinitely? What if the goals we worked for all our lives never materialized, or at least not to the degree for which we prayed and dreamed? If If we're honest with ourselves, these sorts of disappointments touch all of us in one way or another. The question is, when suffering comes, which way do we go? Toward God or away from Him? Do we fall back or cling tighter? Do we stop believing or turn in hope toward the day we'll see him face to face? The answer each of us gives to this question is really quite personal and can be hidden from the eyes of others. We can cover our negative feelings toward God and pretend to serve him, but we can't hide our heart from him. Listen to what David said in this psalm. Would you read it out loud with me? O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. David learned that God knew all about him while he was still a young boy. Out of eight brothers, God selected him to become Israel's next king because as Samuel the prophet said, read this with me, God sees, not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And because God knows the human heart, he pointed David out to Samuel and a blind beggar to Jesus. Whenever he finds a humble heart, he prepares it for more of him. The integrity and depth of resolve that we see in this man born blind seldom develop in someone who lives an easy life. When everything is successful and pleasant, who among us looks for something else? But when life is difficult, some people will turn to hope, turn and hope in God. And he knows the name of every one of them. Another way. In order to bring us to himself, God must first convince us we need him. He must loosen our grip on this world and create in us a longing to be with him forever. Is it possible for that to happen in someone without having to suffer first? Yes, it is. The Word of God tells us all we need to know for salvation. If we choose to humble ourselves and believe His Word, it will perform the deep surgery our hearts require. It will convict us of sin, show us the foolishness of living for the pleasures of this world, reveal the promises of eternal life, And invite us to believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. We don't have to suffer in order to learn those things. All that God requires is the willingness to humble ourselves and believe. He will do the rest. Would you stand with me? We will go one direction or another. Which direction have you gone? In your suffering... And I don't doubt that suffering has touched all of us in its own way. Did it make you bitter? Do you blame God? If it has, listening to this message, watching this man born blind, would you want to choose today and say, I give up bitterness? I give up anger. I give up blaming God or anyone else. And instead, I'm going to turn and cling to God all the tighter. I'm running to Him, not away from Him. I'm going to find my comfort in Him. I don't have answers as to why. I'm not going to wait till He explains everything and I know who to blame. I simply know He's good. And I know there's a lot of things I don't know, and I maybe never will. And I choose to come to God, not run away from him. To draw closer, to hug him close, not push him away. Would you bow your heads for a moment? It's kind of a personal decision. But anybody today say, I'm making that choice. I have suffered. I have dealt with things, and it has hardened me, and it's caused me great frustration. And I can tell my heart's gone cold. This day, I'm following that man born blind. I choose, I choose to put away bitterness and I choose to draw close to the Lord. And even if he doesn't answer my questions, I choose to love him and trust him and know that he has a hope waiting for me. That there'll come a day when I will step into glorious blessings beyond words. I believe that, and I choose to live that way. Would you raise your hands? Anybody need to just say, Pastor, that's me. I'm making those choices. Go ahead and raise your hands up if that's you. I'm letting go of bitterness. Yes, lots of hands. I'm letting go of bitterness this day. I am not demanding answers. I'll be happy to have one if I get it. But I'm not demanding answers, and I'm going to say, I trust the Lord God. I believe he's good and kind. And I will draw close to him and open my heart to him. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Would you pray out loud with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. There are many things I don't understand, things that have happened to me I don't understand. This day, I put away blame, I put away bitterness. It only makes me sour. I reject it. And I choose instead to draw close to you, to trust you. I thank you for loving me while I'm yet a sinner. I thank you for sending Jesus Christ, your beloved son, to take my punishment, to die in my place, to rise from the dead, to deliver me so that I have a future and a hope. I believe in him. I love him. And I thank you, my Father, for loving me as you do and having in front of me a wonderful future full of life, peace, health, joy, and love. I bless you for this. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.